Hello again. Welcome to this week's episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind. I'm Pastor Dan, and on behalf of the people of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, I want to welcome you to today's lesson. It is lesson number 26, Ending with a Beginning. Lesson number 26 on The Christian Hope. The original broadcast date is February 2nd, 2018. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, hear us as we gather together in your name, ask, asking that you teach us and reveal your heart and mind so that our hearts and minds might be in sync entirely with you. Amen. This week's key verse is 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When He is revealed, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And all who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. Our special hymns this week Actually, two of them, and uh, we're going to start first by hearing the words to verses 1 and 4 of My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Love and Righteousness, and then we're going to hear verses 1 and 2 of Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. First, My Hope is Built. My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus Christ, My Righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And verse 4 says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, in him my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. And then verses one and two, from glorious things of thee are spoken. Glorious things of thee are spoken, holy city of our God, he whose word cannot be broken, found thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can make, uh, what can shake thy sure repose? With salvation's walls surrounded, thou mayest smile at all thy foes. Verse 2, see the streams of living water springing from eternal love. Well supply thy blessed members and all fear of want remove. Who can faint when such a river ever flows their thirsts to assuage? Grace which, like the Lord the giver, never fails from age to age. One. Well, I'm back again with Bethany for this week's broadcast, and I'm so excited that we get to do this every week. And, you know, uh, not a lot of dads get the opportunity to talk about such things with their kiddos. And, uh, you know, chances are I would not be calling on the phone. That's not been one of my great strengths. So this is kind of a blessing uh, in multiple ways, isn't it? Uh, It is. So, anyway, let's get on with this. Uh, This week's lesson is ending with the beginning, the Christian hope. I I think Dr. Callis has been very, very careful 
in the way that he has worded all of this. He doesn't want to say the end of the world or the second coming or anything, but that's really what this is about. And I want to use his own words to start here. He says, once a subject has become a center of attention for the extreme, it can easily lose its place in the realm of thoughtful discussion. Such a situation is unfortunate under any circumstances since it means the debasing of human discussion, but tragic if the subject is important and beautiful. So I like what he's saying. He's saying that, that he's being cautious about how he approaches this because he doesn't want it to turn into one of those end times discussions where we decide that Trump is the uh, Antichrist or Obama was the Antichrist. And the fact that we get blue full moons that are eclipsed is a sign of the, you know, instead he's saying, let's just talk about the doctrine that says we believe Christ is coming again. Mm-hmm. So let's start with that, Bethany. We believe Christ is coming again because yes. the Bible says so, right? Yes. And to go where Dr. Callis would have us begin, the readings from Genesis are the first ones that were assigned for the week, and they basically remind us that God made a good creation and that God had a plan. So any good plan has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Would you agree with that? Sure. <laughs> Of my own plans, and they don't always have a good beginning, middle, and end. Well, that's true, but <laughs> but when you start planning anything and knowing that what you do for a profession involves a lot of planning, execution, and outcomes, right? So everybody who has a particular goal in mind goes back to the beginning and starts working towards that goal. That's pretty much how goals are accomplished, right? You. Point at the top of a mountain and you say, I want to go up there. You point at the moon and you say, I want to go there. And then you have to figure out how you start and what it's going to take to get there. And it seems reasonable that God would do the same thing. That's fair. So what's God's end game, do you think? Um, I guess at this point, I think it's to get us back to where we were when he made us. Right. Okay. And what, whoa, this is such a loaded theological question. Oh, boy. For both of us, I mean, because, because if, if the goal is to get us to back to where we were, then that implies that where we were, like Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, was the end that God had in mind. Well, yes, I think think that that was the end he had in mind to begin with. But what end is that really? Well, okay, I don't think it's a beginning or an end, it just is. Okay. It's eternity. Yeah, yeah. I think he, I think he was, anticip- well, I mean, he's God, so probably he was anticipating all the things, but I think he was anticipating an eternity in the garden with his creation, and then we went and did our did our human thing. So then he adjusted because he does. And then he had to look at beginning and end, I guess. Or I don't know. He's. I told you it was a loaded question. He's all the things. Right. 
So you're, you know, the. let me see if I hear what you're saying and maybe I can simplify it for you. This is what we try to do when we talk anyway. But So what it sounds like you're saying is, is that, that a timeless being has created this relationship with people that he made so that we could dwell in his timelessness with him, okay? Now, you didn't say that, but that's what Eden is, basically, right? Eden is this place where everything God created coexists with God. We know that because he goes for long walks in the evening, in the cool of the evening, right? And and then it all goes haywire one day because he goes for a cool walk in the, or walk in the cool evening, and all of a sudden... Adam and Eve are hiding from him and everything's crazy. Then they're no longer in his presence anymore. They're cast out. I would argue that Eden is as timeless as God is and that part of what they lost or part of what happened to them when they got cast out of the Garden of Eden is they got sent into a place where time becomes an issue. Yeah. So all of that I said because of what you said, because you said that if the goal ultimately was for God to have the kind of relationship with us that God once had with us through Adam and Eve, then it would be an end that is outside of time and space and therefore in the place where God dwells and therefore not a time frame at all. You know, the what, the problem with the beginning, a middle, and an end is, is that it has time as its central feature. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Is like, you just said timeless. Like, I don't think it's fair to put God in a box and say, here's the beginning of the timeline, here's the end. I'm with this you. The reason I just went through what I just did was to say I heard what you said, and this is how I'm interpreting what you said, because because I think you're right. I think that if we're really going, and I guarantee you that this is not where the book goes, and <laughs> folks, Bethany's got a copy of the book, I got a copy of the book, and we've already done what we always do, which is to go somewhere else, <laughs> but not entirely. And, and this, is a, this is a discussion for people who have been interested in taking a deeper look at doctrine. And so we've, we've, we're 26 weeks or 26 lessons into a 30-something uh, lesson program. I can't remember if it's 34 or 36. But anyway, so, so we can have a mature conversation with our friends here. And, and what we're driving at, I guess, is that sure, we who live within the confines of time are trying to imagine if during our short little span on this earth, we're going to see the return of Christ and we're going to see the beginning of God's ultimate culmination of this human existence within sin and time and space and entropy and all the limitations that came as a result of sin. But when it ends, it's like it was in the beginning. Because She's nodding, is, but this is an audio recording. Because the end is the beginning. <laughs> so, what have we discovered so far? <laughs> have no you have no idea. She's laughing at me. Well, okay, so if... if 
Okay. So, you said what was God's end game? What is his end game? And I and I like you were talking about Genesis and I'm saying but at the very beginning, I think his end game was the beginning. There you go. All right. And I think we can agree about that. So that brings us to a place where we have to go into or move toward the reality that is where we are. Okay, so what I mean by that is, you know, on Saturday they play the Super Bowl. It'll be over. One team will be the Super Bowl champions. And then next August it'll start all over again. And that's how we humans in our limited scope look at things. Huh? Is is the only way that most people can interpret what God intends to do by bringing an end to this span of the human story is so that God can start a new season or start over, you know, that kind of thing. And we've already said that with God, there's no limitations, so there is no need for a do-over. You know, if you're God, the creator, you don't have do-overs. So that brings into the conversation a, a discussion about um, why we should have an end times doctrine. Um, why is it important for us when we talk to people in church to say God created everything, sin entered the human condition and affected the world from then on, God saved us through Jesus from the cause and outcome of sin. God has given us a way of eternal life through Jesus and a relationship with God because of Jesus. And that's not where the story ends. The story ends with the coming of the Holy Spirit and our anticipation of the return of Jesus. So in church, we're asking people to believe all of that, including the part where he's coming again. And Dr. Callis is saying there are people out there who get just really radically, extremely focused on the whole he's coming again part. But a question I guess I'm driving towards now is, is what's... What are we supposed to be doing in the meantime? And why? That's a great question. <laughs> All that stuff we've been talking about every other week. Okay, yeah. So that's probably why this lesson comes late in the series. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about discipleship and a lot of other stuff that goes with discipleship and sacraments and all that stuff. And I think, ow, I just ran my foot into something. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is live, even if it is recorded. Well, okay. I'm, I'm going to let you off the hook here. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and... And the reason that I ask that question is, is because would you agree that people who believe there is a second coming and that Jesus is going to return, uh, 
do you would you agree that that there are certain ways that people approach that in their Christian living? Um, for example, we all know people who are so fixated on signs of the times and the return of Christ that that seems like all they're doing. And they're not all that particularly useful in the kingdom of God. I mean, I, I see it on Facebook, don't you? There, there's people that basically are complaining that the world's going to hell in a handbasket, therefore Jesus should be here soon. And they're not doing anything to stop it from going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, because all they're doing is complaining. And, and pointing fingers. Yeah. It's all their fault, whoever they are, you know. But they'll claim they're Christians because, you know, they believe Jesus is coming again. But what they're really, I think, doing is copping out. They're looking for an escape. I don't have to do anything except believe and wait for him to come. Yeah, I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. It doesn't move any further past the salvation piece. Yeah. Like, well, now I got Jesus. I'm good. Yep. But they're not doing anything to cultivate it. Or or like we were talking about last week, they're not reaching sanctification and helping other people meet Jesus. Right. Yeah. And, and then you have people who have no theology or doctrine of the second coming and they're sort of ultra altruistic people who are convinced that we have to rise to this superhuman capacity for doing good for others, especially those who are less fortunate. And that seems noble and good until it becomes apparent that they are betting that their humanity is a little better than everybody else's, and that's why they're here to fix it. Yeah, I can think of people like that. <laughs> now, see, I don't want to make this about politics, and I have a strict rule against talking politics from the pulpit or in Sunday school class or anything like that. <laughs> but ultimately, whether we're talking about political, social things, or whether we're talking about life in the church, there are certain things that are pretty transcendent, and Probably one of those that I see the most often uh, that sort of spills over on both sides, uh, whether it's spiritual or, or worldly, is, is our belief about ourselves and how we interact with other people. To put it another way, if you believe Jesus is coming again and you're very conservative politically and a lot of other ways, then your tendency, like most conservative political people, is to say, I'm just thinking the best kind of relationship with each other is where you do your thing and I do mine and you don't mess with me and I won't mess with you. And, you know, conservatives, whether it's political or religious, are pretty individualistic. And so they're more content to just say, I'd rather wait and watch for Jesus to come and I sure hope you find him too. Then the liberal point of view says God's not that harsh 
God's not going to punish everybody. God's not going to do all of that. What God wants us to do is rise to a certain level, be like Jesus, take care of people who are less fortunate, help the poor, help the inferior, you know. And in both cases, there's a kind of arrogance because in both cases, they're basically saying, I'm smarter than everybody else, and that's why the good things are going to happen for me. And go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and it's kind of, it goes beyond other, like, smarter than other people. You're kind of snubbing your nose a little at God, if you ask me, because you're you're taking matters into your own hands, which is never a great idea. Yeah. So. Because you're either saying, well, I'm going to sit and wait, or you're going above and beyond. And, I mean, I don't think helping people is ever a bad thing, but if you're. If you're so focused on that that you're not listening for God, then you're still going to get yourself in trouble. So the ultra-conservative, whether we're talking politics or whether we're talking religion, would basically say, God's going to deal with you, but he won't deal with me the same way because I've been obedient. So good luck, fella. But the ultra-liberal person, whether politically or biblically or religiously speaking, is going to say, God's counting on me to fix everything. God isn't going to come and fix it. God's going to give us everything we need to fix it. So we need to get busy fixing things. And all we need is a few less of those other people who are making it harder for us to accomplish what we need to accomplish. I mean, I I may be offending people here, but what I'm driving at is, is that that our theology and doctrine of the second coming has everything to do with this, because if we think Jesus is coming again, then we have to ask what he expects to find us doing, and just how much participation we have in his plan. And so that means that if you're one of those who's not all that sure it matters whether he's coming again or when, then you're going to see all problems as human in nature and human to solve. And if you're really conservative and you know he's coming again, you're going to just kind of take care of your own affairs because you just want to be ready, you know, and and I mean, I don't know, I may be going off base here, but. Well, I'm just sitting here thinking that I feel like the happy medium is that word. Um, that I know that's super helpful, that word. Um, the happy medium is Maranatha. Maranatha, right? That's the word. Yeah. That's the happy medium. Because that's... it's, yeah, we want the second coming to happen soon, but not before we're done with the work we're doing here. There you go. Which is, which is like a more broad interpretation, but... No, I think you're spot on, and this is what you've done every week since we started doing this together, is you bring it around to the point that I guess really needs to be made, which is the reason the early church people cried Maranatha is they were faced with the same conundrums that we're describing here. My point in all of that I, that I've just said is not to criticize anybody or to... to uh, you know, make people feel like I've got something against the way they view things. What I'm trying to say is, as a believer, I want to make the world better in the name of Jesus, 
but I also know that it will never be perfect until he comes again and establishes it again in that way. So I don't have this altruistic vision that I think Gene Roddenberry had when he wrote Star Trek, the original series, where somehow we were going to resolve all our problems and only bad people lived on other planets, that all the good people on Earth were out there trying to make the rest of the universe better. And, and I, I think that was a sweet idea, but if you think about it, the show evolved over the last 50 years into something that had to have violence and evil in order to be entertaining. Gotta have conflict. And the fact is, is the humans are just as conflicted and messed up as anybody, and they're determination to do good and be good is still there and still admirable but they're also ready to fight because they understand that there's never going to be an end to evil and what we would say as christians is until jesus returns you know so so we as believers we're living that maranatha cry we're trying to be ready for the coming of christ but at the same time actively trying to make the world better in his name uh, that's kind of how I see it now. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's kind of interesting because, like, you know, the topic for tonight is Christian hope and the second coming and all this stuff. And I think what you just said about Star Trek, there's, and you and I both really love sci-fi, so my brain just goes to sci-fi. But like, especially in science fiction, there's always this thing. There's always this idea of like. Well, hope, I guess, like, like even like the, all the robots and all the space travel and everything that's going on in science fiction, it still comes back down to human hope and human, human, the human capacity for love and all of this stuff. And I think it's kind of funny because science fiction tends to seem really far away from the Bible and Christianity, but it still ends up coming back to the very thing that we Christians are hanging on to. Well, you know, you and I could probably do another podcast along with this one where we just talk about Christian themes in science fiction. Uh, And we'd probably develop a following on that if I just had the time and the resources. Because what we've discovered together, and, you know, I kind of introduced you to science fiction when you were really young because you're a reading maniac and you just needed (laughs) new things to read. And but what we discover is is that good science fiction, and emphasis on good science fiction, yes. explores the human condition under circumstances that can't be real yet. And so everything's about trying to figure out what it means to be human in a world where exotic and amazing things can happen. And that makes the Bible pretty sci-fi in a lot of ways because it describes the human condition in relationship with someone who is otherworldly mm-hmm. and is constantly involving himself in the world's affairs. And so when we watch science fiction, even when it's written by someone who would profess to be an atheist, a lot of times what we see is, is that they can't resolve the problem, whatever it is, without introducing something that you and I immediately recognize as Christian. Mm-hmm. Which means that Christian themes aren't entirely uh, Christian. That's not coming out the way I mean it. But 
sometimes truth is truth, and it just happens to align with Christian and Judeo-Christian biblical beliefs because it's true. And you could try really hard to hate the Bible and the people who love the Bible and still end up writing a story where you have to do the same thing the Bible says to do in order to resolve the conflict in your story. Yes, we see that all the time. Yeah, so... Well, so what do you think? Um, you got more to add to that? Um, I, well, I, I will. Tangent, so. That's all right. We, we totally, you know, I, I'm looking at the book right now and I'm trying to think of how very, how we even got close or if we got close. And <laughs> there's, totally. well, there's a whole discussion, you know, about, Old Battle of Armageddon and all that. And, and you know, I think that people would love to hear a Bible study about all that, but that's not really what this is. This particular study is more about doctrine and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, and it's meant to be broad in scope. But, uh, you know, the reality is that the Bible tells us quite explicitly about times and events that have not occurred yet. And the reason we know that's what's going on is because some of the things that are written in the same passages have occurred. And so what we read in the Bible in books like Daniel and Revelation are indications of things to come and things that have already come. And if I were going to say anything to our audience, uh, in addition to that, it would just be that that's the nature of prophecy. Prophecy is not a prediction. Prophecy, prophecy is a uh, message from God that says, this is what you look for so that you know it's really me. In other words, he's not making a prediction uh, and then... Trying to, yeah, he, he, you know, God, God is basically saying, I'm going to meet you in Seattle and you're going to start in Jasper, Indiana, and you'll know when you're getting close to Seattle because you'll start seeing some of these things. You'll see Mount Rainier or whatever. And then Mm -hmm. when you get down to uh, the place where we're going to meet, you know, it's the old, uh, I'll be the one with the red carnation kind of thing, right? You know, but that's, that's how those things happen. And, and so the best way to interpret prophecy is to recognize that that's all, that's all that God is doing, as though that's all God is doing. But whenever God speaks through the prophets, God is saying, these are the things you should look for in order to know that it's me. And uh, I think that that's not given as a way to terrify us or or to trick us or anything else. It's really just a very loving relationship being expressed with instructions. You know, two lovers are going to meet somewhere, so they send each other notes with arrangements. Yeah. Um, Well, okay, this has been fun. Do you have anything else you'd like to add for the good of the cause here? Um, Anything that cop kind of popped into your head while we were chatting? I, I, there was something I read in the book that I thought was really great that is it's not like anything monumental or 
out of this world, but I just liked how I, Dr. Callis said that like some people are fixated on the whole idea of the second coming when really like in the end of the world and really we've been living in the end times since Jesus showed up. And mm. I just, I really liked that because I was like, yeah, as soon as he showed up, we, we switched over to that. Okay, now we're winding down because he, he came and he says he's coming back. So I, I just thought that was cool because I was like, yeah, the people that are fixated, they should probably not fixate so much because like the end times have been going on for 2000 years. That's really good. Um, the beginning of the end started with his birth, and the end of the end starts with his second coming. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I like it. Well, okay, uh, we're going to end this segment now, and as always, I don't mind if everybody hears me tell you I love you, and I sure enjoy our times doing this. I love you, too. Thanks, babe. tell you a little secret. Bethany and I often talk before we start to record about what we're going to talk about. And inevitably, I end up saying, oh, well, let's just see what happens. <laughs> we did this time for sure, but I hope you are blessed. Now we talk about the language of faith. And by this, we mean the phrases Christians use or church speak, I like to call it. Uh, Christians say things like Christian hope, but not very much. They do speak of the second coming frequently. They do tend to talk about uh, things like revelations. By the way, it's not revelations. It's just revelation with no S on the end. And they talk about the end of the world, and they talk about the kingdom of God. Christians talk about nature redeemed. They talk about righteousness and justice. Uh, they talk of an unexpected hour of signs of the times. Uh, they talk about our hope in the face of death. They talk about being ready. Uh, we talk about how God is the only one who knows the time. And, and uh, so there's a lot of things Christians say, but what they're really driving at with all this phraseology, with all these things that uh, we talk about is that we believe Jesus is coming again. Because he said he would come again. And when he rose into the heavens uh, in the, in the uh, last books of the Gospels, and, and he's described as ascending into heaven, and angels come and say, watch, he's coming back the same way he, you know, so there's this idea that he went into the sky, and he's going to come back from the sky, and we're to be watchful. And uh, so these are the languages or the things that we're really uh, speaking to. And uh, I'm going to say something that might offend a few people, but, you know, stay away from people who talk more about the blood and the gore and uh, the, the ugly things that are associated with the times that precede Christ's return. Um, that's not what this is about. And a true believer is focused on Christ and Christ-like living not on a bunch of scary predictions that uh, we want to obsess over. And so I urge you, don't get obsessed with things. Listen to the direction that has been given. Listen to the lover who has told us how to know the signs of his return. Mm -hmm. 
Here are some questions I'd like you to consider as we close down today, things I would hope you will think about in the week ahead. The teaching of the Christian hope seems to divide even people within the same household. So uh, when people look forward to the return of Christ, they can vigorously defend their view of how that's going to happen. In other words, some people think there's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture. Some people think there's going to be a mid-tribulation rapture. Some people think that the rapture will come right before the great white throne judgment. And so there are a lot of people who are ignorant of most of what the Bible says, who have made themselves real experts on a few things the Bible says about something that we're probably not going to be as actively involved in as we think. We're really going to be witnesses and uh, we're going to respond in a way that is in some ways respect uh, for our will is not the issue. So so uh, basically the question is, is, why do we Christians bicker about this? Why is it so important for us to prove one view over another when there's really saving work to be done in our communities to help people in trouble and in our helping maybe reach out to them with the love that makes them ask the question, where does this love come from that makes you help me? And then we can tell them about Jesus and then they can be prepared, be prepared for whatever comes. When you've seen someone face death with true Christian hope, have you seen that? Do you know what that's like? I'll tell you that one of the most profound things that has happened to me is the handful of people that I have prayed with at the hour of their death or in the hour moments even before they die, and they pray for me. I've actually had people who were minutes or within an hour of dying praying for me. I can't even begin to tell you what that's like. Now, if anybody tells you that they find it impossible to be hopeful in the world as ugly as it is, how would you respond to them? Would you say, well, just tough it out because Jesus is coming and then everything will be okay? Or would you say, well, we've got to make the world better so it isn't so ugly? Or would you say something else in the middle? And then what is your personal hope? Have you thought about it lately? What is it that the return of Christ really means to you personally? That's a lot to ponder. This week's statement of faith is this. Because we the church believe in the certainty of the Christian hope, I will pursue God's kingdom on this earth, and I will rest secure in my contemplation of the future. Because we the church believe in the certainty of the Christian hope, I will pursue God's kingdom on this earth, and I will rest secure in my contemplation of the future. I hope you've been blessed once again by this broadcast. I wish it was as polished as I imagine it to be, and I wish that the lessons were as well-crafted as the book that they come from. But if nothing else, you've just listened to me and Bethany think it out, and maybe that prompts your thinking. I happen to be a real advocate for the skill of critical thinking, and what I like to do as a Christian believer is critical thinking. 
I want to be holy not only in my heart and my faith, but in my thinking. And I believe God invites and even creates so that we can explore in this critical thinking way. Next week's assignments will be in the description box for this podcast, as always, along with the link to the Nicene Creed, which is the sort of the anchor of this study. And uh, there are, of course, opportunities for you to send me a note and let me know how you're enjoying this and whether you're blessed and how you're blessed. I did receive a wonderful note this week. Thank you very much. You know who you are. And uh, it means the world to me, believe me. And uh, just, just to know that this does touch somebody and it does help in some way. Um, you can tell me if you disagree. Just be nice and uh, know that I'll be very nice in return. This Critical thinking is also associated with the civil discourse where we have conversations about things instead of just shouting and yelling at each other, which is so often the case now. So anyway, I thank you for your support by listening and for those ways in which you support this podcast by supporting Shiloh United Methodist Church. You can visit us at shilohum.org. That's Shiloh, S-H-I-L-O-H-U. M.org. You'll find everything you want to know about us there, and you can find a link to me with my picture, and you can write me a note that way if you like. And you know, we wouldn't mind your financial support either. You can even say this donation is in thanks for the podcast, and uh, all of that is greatly appreciated. We have a goal at Shiloh to be vital to the well-being of our community and for our mission to stretch from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the world. This is our vision, and we're trying to live it out the very best we can. We'd be glad to have you join us if you live in southwest Indiana. Come on over to Jasper and visit us at Shiloh United Methodist Church. If you're farther away, be sure to get involved with the church that loves Jesus, reads the Bible, and seeks to be his disciples in the world around them. For now, I love you, and thank you for listening. God bless you. Goodbye.